You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. Once again, I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited to speak with Scott Vaughn. Scott and I have known each other for a while, and I'm just excited that he could join the show today. We're going to be talking about designing marketing orgs for the buyer-driven world. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Ash. Great to talk to you, man. And uh, I love the title of this, Sunny Side Up. I'm feeling uh, sunny on this Friday. Hopefully you see a little light and glow. It's, uh, it's fun to talk to you, and I appreciate you having me on. Yes, thank you, and welcome again. Um, it's an exciting time in MarTech, all up. And I know we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that uh, on, on this podcast. But for our audience who is global, can you tell us how you got to where you are, please? Yeah. So uh, mine's a story like many. Uh, started classic marketing person in, in tech companies and uh, product marketing and brand. And, you know, in the days of brochures and T-shirts and uh, logos and events and all the stuff we did. And um, I went into sales for a short bit, which was a great experience for for me to reorient my marketing thinking around the customer and the buyer. And then when I went back into marketing, it was right at the beginning of the uh, marketing tech revolution. And um, we were kind of doing the same thing everybody else was. And it was with Aliqua and Marketo in 2008, 9-ish. And so when I adopted that and got the experience, boy, did I make a lot of mistakes, but I learned so much about the power of data and this is when tech was just first coming into marketing as, as a tool set and B2B anyway. And so that changed the trajectory of, of my career. And, and so I've been really in, in marketing and tech now the last decade or so. And in the last seven years, I've been at Integrate as the, the first CMO and now the chief growth officer within the company. So I've got a front row or a ringside seat to what's been going on in MarTech since its earliest days. Fantastic. And so I guess where we are today is Sixth Sense announced that they raised $125 million, And I think a few weeks ago, Terminus announced that they raised $90 million. And for a while, it sounded like this category of ABM specifically was going to be silent for a while. But you've seen it all. So I would love for you to share with our audience of what's happened in the past 10 years and where do you see things going? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give a couple of different views. So the, the first view is just think about where marketing came from. If, if we were the product and the data sheet and the events and the logo people, marketing automation was a big step uh, to get to build a marketing database, to be able to connect it to a website, to be able to do uh, lead funnels and begin to measure and generate some activity, at least, if not leads and, and pipeline for, with and for sales. So that was a great start. Uh, but then there's a lot of rumbling between sales and marketing, like, hey, what's marketing really doing for sales? So we took that funnel we built, and then we, a little bit in a goofy way, uh, we flipped it and thinking, okay, so now we're sales-driven and we're aligned with sales in theory. 
we love account-based marketing. I think it's a it's good marketing, um, but we are marketing driven now. We're sales driven. Uh, I see a world more where how do you become a more B 2 C like mentality? How do you become more buyer driven? You don't lose the account focus, and you still have the advantage of automation. But I think the next two, three, four years is really going to, especially as the world's gone digital um, and the pandemic accelerated digital and how people consume information, how they buy, how they make decisions have changed. I think this buyer-driven era is going to be really cool to watch. I feel like I would open up my phone and there's SaaS marketplace number one. And maybe it's powered by Amazon and it says 47% of the executives bought this product. So you should buy it too. Well, I think, I think we may not go that far that quick, but even how think, think about marketing's role. So you have the buyer and the seller, right? That's, and sales has its role. Marketing has its role. The buyer has its role. Well, now it used to be, Hey, I'm going to be in Denver in two weeks or New York or wherever it might be. Can I come by? Well, that equation's gone. So we were already on a track yes. where buying yes. teams were doing their research online, doing a back channel, using different channels to do that. But that's been accelerated as well. So the bottom line is marketing has to play a bigger role in the process. They don't have to be salespeople per se, but they have to have those attributes that are, are delivering the right information at the right time and the right channels and play a more aggressive effort. They can't just generate leads and a little bit of engagement and throw it over to sales. I know we've been talking about this for a while, but I think that's the wake-up call that you're describing, that everything was driven by marketing automation in, in MarTech. So the excitement, and when all those companies got bought by the big dogs, right, Oracle, Salesforce, Adobe, those are great companies, but it was crickets. Innovation slowed. And that's why we had so many damn tools. We're trying to fix all these little things that we were hoping our platform would solve over the last 10 years. So we had a three or four year, like this is lack of innovation is actually kind of boring. And I think what you've seen with the digital acceleration is the need and the understanding that marketing and revenue organizations together need to change what they're doing. So when you look at somebody like Integrate or you look at somebody like Sixth Sense, you look at someone like demand base trying to remake itself. All of those things are good signs that there's a different type of engagement, revenue, whatever you might call it. We like to talk about precision demand and precision marketing as the way to go about that um, at Integrate. But that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the realization that there is a new uh, frontier, that, that marketing must make a shift and a change to be part of that more buyer-driven with that account focus and that accountability that we've been building over the last 10 or 12 years. And I feel like like executives also now are buying differently, right? Like I guess I guess it'd be great to learn like what was the last big product that you sanctioned to be, be bought by Integrate and how did you go about it? Well, I think it is different. Um, the fundamentals are the same, and, and um, Gartner talks a lot about and We see this tr tremendously in our customer's customer, but also with what we do. And, and that buying process, there's less confidence, but there's a more urgency to act now. The pandemic, think about, okay, yeah, we're going to get to our digital transformation in you know three years, four years. It's a priority. 
if you didn't move immediately and start making inroads to be able to conduct business online and for remote workforces internally, you're host. So the urgency accelerated, and that's really what's, what's changed the dynamic. And we're not going to go back to the old ways. So this is really a, a kind of a bucket of ice water for companies and specifically for marketing that we have to make a change. Um, you know, having good open rates on email and, you know, conversion in those areas or a great website, those are all fundamental things. So they're still important, but it's not really that buyer driven thing that we're looking for and, and, and need to get to, to be able to deliver on uh, what buyers expect and, 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 ha- and how that happens. So if you look at the buying process itself, think about the buying committee. The decisions are bigger in most cases. They have to move quicker, but they want to do that with confidence. And they're not meeting as much with salespeople. So marketing has the opportunity, I would call it the requirement, but marketing has the opportunity to play a much bigger role in education because your buying committees, the old school way would be, hey, we're going to meet in a conference room um, and we're going to do homework together. We're going to whiteboard and we're going to drop the business case. Now they're on another Zoom call in a Brady Bunch screen, trying to make decisions, you know, that could be tens of thousands, a hundred thousands or millions of dollar decision. Um, That's one aspect of it. Now think about the touch points and the difference. I used to go to an event, right? I'm a buyer. I'd go to an event and I'd go to a case study and watch it. I'd learn about a new idea. I might even go over to a booth or have a conversation with one of the sponsors and look at their technology. I'd get a demo. I'd knock out 10 touch points in less than a day. Now I'm remote, I'm working from my home or wherever that might be, I'm on and, okay, I'll sign up for that webinar in two weeks. I'll, I'll do some homework online. And so all of a sudden it takes 10, five to 10 times at least touch points to absorb the same amount of information to get me up to speed and to be able to learn, make my business case, do the evaluation. It's just more heavy lifting. And that's where marketing can play a bigger role. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. As you were saying this, I I keep saying that a mid-market deal and an enterprise deal are technically taking the same amount of time because companies cannot see more than 90 days out, but they also want to be cautious based on what they've already experienced. And so it's going to take four people to move either deal. And in some cases, if there's a little bit more urgency from from senior senior executives, the deals may move faster. But there is this pre-touch that you just talked about, like all the stuff that people have to listen, see, hear, and absorb, so that they can be the mindset of buying. Yeah. It's just very different because you can't say hello to them at a trade show floor, or and, and Zoom, Zoom, and I'm using Zoom for online conferencing, chat, Teams, whatever you're using, WebEx. It's just a different way. So you have a different experience in buying. You, you can't do that. Let's do an extended two or three hour working session, right? Where you get to sit down and then maybe you go have a bite of lunch or a dinner or, or, or a drink to really get the issues out on the table, which actually can help put things together. And, 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 the, and the seller also may be learning things that they didn't understand in that very fixed one hour or 90 minute session. So we're missing this experience, this dynamic. In some ways, it's, it can be approved, yes. improved, 
But that's why your digital experience has to be there. That's why your, your intelligence to be able to not just target an account, but a buying committee and still make it personalized. So think about that, Asher. You've got to have an account level layer. You've got to have the buying committee to put the buyers together and feed them the right information. But you also have to have that personalized. Because there's not a single buyer in, in nearly all purchases today at a B2B level, uh, with some exception. And certainly, uh, we don't really work with SMB. We work mostly with uh, high-growth, mid-market, and enterprise. Yeah. I also think that the whole notion of discovery, right, which is technically a sales term, the discovery is happening at all points in in this process right. now, right? Yeah. It's not like marketing did a lot of work, helped us to get to a point, and then great, sales basically took over, did this discovery. Yeah. The, the discovery is actually even further down the funnel, and marketing plays a much larger lo- role now in the informing and convincing that this is the right time to take action. 1,000%, and you could argue, it kind of always did, but if you're not focused and understanding this is where you go, the buying journey or the buying process. I like process because journey just seems a little bit too uh, you know, intangible to me. But a buying process, you can marketing can really help accelerate conversations because at the end of the day, marketing has to play more of a role in that full customer life cycle and that full buying process. And, you know... I'm, the buyer's not going to say, well, let me see where I am in the buying process. So now I should get a webinar. I mean, we exactly. act like it's so linear. <laughs> and, and I want to put it on paper and I want to show people what we're doing. And the coolest thing I ever saw to get change going is with a, a marketing organization at Akamai. They showed this really, and our team, when uh, an integrate as well, does this. And I was so impressed. What they did is before they came and did all the MarTech and charts and all those things, they went and they manually went through and looked at their three big deals that they thought were their ideal customer profile and their ideal accounts. And they did an anatomy. So who from that company, what moves, what touches did they have with us? What did, their, what did it look like? And then they could at least map a process or a journey and begin to look at some patterns. Of course, we want to do that at scale. Of course, we want technology to help us do that. But they had the mindset to start to step into it. And I've done that ever since. I really learned a lot from that so that you understand what's really happening. And by the way, then when you sit down in your, your quarterly business reviews with sales, you're not talking about attribution and credit and look at all that marketing did. You're talking about, okay, let's look at these last three or four major deals that we think are the bellwethers that are true north of the kind of engagements we want. And then marketing can add value by breaking that down including the sales touches, et cetera. It just creates a, a natural environment because this artificial idea is just because we move to an account-based strategy that marketing and sales are going to be aligned is just a fallacy. Uh, marketing and sales are aligned when things are going well. And when things are not going well, it's it's this, you know, pointing fingers. 100%. It's, it's, it's like, I feel like so much is talked about alignment versus, you know, like, so I'll give you my example, right? So when I two companies ago, I was in a company where I was leading partner sales and my colleague was leading partner marketing. And even back then, there was this whole like alignment, the conversation going on, right? 
And then one day we were just discussing and we're at a conference and somebody asked us to like actually give a talk at this thing. And we both got up. And as we were giving this talk to other, let's call it partnership leaders, um, we just realized that the single most reason why we were aligned is inherently we had decided at some point in time that we would just not give up on each other. And, and when, yeah. and from that point onwards, nothing else mattered because the numbers are the numbers, the trajectory is the trajectory, the deals are the deals, the partners, are the partners, and we can all either have fun together or not have fun together. But fundamentally there was an inherent belief that we are just not going to give up on each other and we have to get this thing done. And there was no alignment. Yeah. We never talked about alignment in the seven and a half years I was there. Well, and that's when you have the right culture and you're hiring the right people that, that are focused on common goals Yes, at a company level, at an organization level, and then also at a personal level. And that's why culture is so important part, whether it's MarTech or partnership or marketing and sales, culture sets the tone. And then obviously having common success metrics and rewarding uh, people in the right way and celebrating the wins, uh, understanding the gaps and losses and what's happening. Uh, that's all part of any good organization that, that's out there. And easy to say, easy for me to throw out those words, but that's how you create an environment that's uh, agile and dynamic, but yet can deliver the performance. And you know when you're in that kind of uh, environment and culture. Exactly. That's those are the magic words you know. <laughs> if you don't know, it's not working, right? But if yeah, you know, you just know. Yeah, so. are, are always the, the the strategy people. They're they're they create the environment for success, right? Obviously, the buck stops. They have to make decisions on, on the business, but yeah. all leaders really can set the tone by the the environment they create for what's needed in the markets they serve or the business they're in and they're competing in. So. I mean, that's what it's really all about. That That's where I thrive. That, to me, is that when you're playing chess versus checkers and you're trying to, you know, be able, I always talk about this is you want to have a telescope out so you're looking two to three years out. You want to have a windshield so you've got a dashboard of what's happening and you're, you can instrument against that. And there's times where there's stuff that's happening that you need to get the microscope out, man, and you better roll up your sleeves and get underneath this because this is uh, either going to take you off the road or it's going to slow you down in a big way. So that that's that flexibility that's needed. Whether, again, whether it's in marketing or, or more general across an organization. So, so let's shift gears a bit. Let's talk about team composition because if the buyer has changed the way that they're buying and we have gone from all these point solutions that are available to now some innovation happening back at the platform level, right? And uh, tell me about how you instrumented or maybe like you structured your team in, back in the days. And then how are you thinking about your team now and moving forward? I'll give one tidbit that I've experienced that there's a whole bunch of data science that's being rolled into marketing and sales teams. And a lot of times people don't understand the discipline, but they're just there thinking that they're the they're the solution to to a different problem. But that's the biggest trend that at least I've seen. But I would love to get your viewpoint on this. So I think we're at the beginning of it. I think we're just really getting to the point. We talk about being buyer-driven, account-focused, these key things that we're trying to do to get more precision. Again, we call it precision demand marketing and integrate. 
um, that we put all of our chips on around it just in terms of a strategy. And I think the organization of the future, there's some changes. And I, I see it in three companies we're working with right now, including ourselves, but three companies that we get to work with on the front line. And instead of hiring, for example, because you have, let's just picture the buyer and the accounts you're going after and just bear with me. You're at the Olympics and you're swimming. And in lane one, you've got the events people. In lane two, you've got the social people. Lane three is the digital and, and performance marketing people. In lane four, you get the idea, right? That's how most CMOs like, like myself or others would orchestrate or, sorry, would organize and the team. And it's great. They're all type A. But what we don't realize is they often can be fighting for the buyer's attention or the account's attention and with, with, and with good intention, they're trying to do that. And so what we're starting to see is a yes data, yes, a consolidated tech stack where you can, but most important than that is beginning to take out things like integrated marketing, which was a more of a linear science of how to put together programs that went across channels. Awesome, by the way, big fan, but how do we evolve that? And I'm starting to see in organizations, these words like, oh, we've hired a journey architect. And that really is a marketer who's thinking and following specific accounts, building out opt-in for that buying committee, and then putting not campaigns that are timed internally when we have a product launch, but spending the majority of having always on campaigns that go across channels and they are able to monitor that. It's not, it doesn't seem like a radical shift, but it's first a mindset shift and then Two, you need the right data. You need the right tool sets to do that. And by the way, I'm not calling to go out and buy more technology because you can start doing that by using the tools and the data you have today. When you're ready to scale it, that's where I think the innovation is starting to come in the market now in, in B2B MarTech. Um, that's what I'm excited about. That's what you're seeing from companies like Integrate, companies like Sixth Sense. There's, there's a new next generation marketing platforms that are coming onto the scene. And I think it's really cool to watch. Obviously the script hasn't been written and I'm not declaring victory here. I'm declaring that the shift is, is happening. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, as, as you're saying this, I'm just, I'm just thinking do with, let's call it a journey architect, right? Or uh, does that mean two of the previous roles combined together in one? Because even that journey architect needs to understand the multiple disciplines of marketing, right? And, that, and that's and, right. And that's, so when you look at demand, right, you start to collapse. Events used to be off on an island. Let's hire an events person who knows how to do events logistics. What the pandemic exposed, uh, many of those folks got redeployed into digital uh, or you know, or furloughed. So now you have field and event more focused on growth than out on an island. You have events people that are more focused on demand and being part of the journey. So the smart marketing organizations were bringing those into the equation. And that's why that's what's different. You still may need some specialty, but if you get the strategy layer right and you, I'm not saying everybody's a journey architect. I was saying that as an addition or a person that comes in who helps you make that transition to be able to look at the whole buying process and the whole buyer's journey. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I'm excited to see where this one goes because there are so many different ways people could come into the, let's get, say, the proverbial funnel. But what happens after they're 
in the funnel? Like what happens after they buy? And I'm assuming the journey architect actually goes even further uh, yeah. through, through that process. I think that's process. Just to start. And again, I don't want to get too obsessed on a journey architect or a title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm starting to see people, this is the way we get started of thinking and changing and breaking down silos and beginning to think around buyers and accounts. Um, and that's what's different today. That's what is changing. This is an example of that coming into place and that field marketing is getting reimagined. The event marketer may not just be in their silo. They may be combined with field and event and doing things differently. They may be part of a demand organization going forward. Uh, does the digital label go away? And everybody has a digital capacity. This, these are all signs that you're starting to see as CMOs and other marketing leaders try to figure out how to re-architect um, their, their organization around this. We're at the very beginning of this, in my view. Sure, this is not like something someone's got figured out and there's a textbook and best practices and yeah. what is what was required. It's probably why these data teams or data science teams are being asked to come in because they are the most equipped to work with large data sets and find trends and then package those data findings up so that th that that data is a little bit more useful. Well, so I skipped all that, but that's why you, you your data team you can't do any of this other work if you don't have a data foundation. If you start, aren't focused on connecting, if if you want to get your process, your data, your campaigns, your channels connected. That's what we tried to do, but we tried to do it from a central place. Well, what if we started to re rethink that and flip it upside down and say, well, let's start with getting our teams uh, more connected. That means our campaigns, our data, our, go the other way. Yep, yep. I mean, that's something that I'm seeing that sounds like, well, yeah, whichever way you go, but it's a big deal. Yeah. You've clearly given us plenty to think about. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll transition over here. Because there's well, one more question, but I'll ask it in the very... Just to wrap that up. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It's important. This is not figured out. What you're evoking, as usual, I'm not surprised, is you're trying to think ahead of cause and effect. What does the world look like in 12 and, and 24 months? You're asking all the right questions, but we're all sitting down and trying to remap. And we're trying to right. project what that right. market looks like. That's the ripple effect of how you open this discussion. You open this discussion like, wow, there's a change going on because people foresee what the world may look like in 12 and 24 months and everybody's going to race for that prize on the vendor and provider side. And so we have to come back to it and really think about that. So I just wanted to say that, make sure that that's clear. That there's a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of questions and answers. There, there, that's a good 100%. And as you're saying this, and I was and I was going to ask this question later on, but I'll just ask it right now. And maybe we can do another podcast on the on this topic um, uh, in the fall. But you know, as a revenue leader, right? You have like sales led growth, you have marketing led growth, you have customer led growth, you have partnerships led growth, you have product led growth, you have community led growth. Like, there's a lot of growth to go around, and like somebody's got to like <laughs> like put all these pieces together. Otherwise, you know, everybody's just going to be jumping all around and, and the buyer's going to be totally confused. Well, the buyer's going to be confused and it's hard to do. And, and again, it comes back to culture, of course. Everybody owns growth. 
But being a chief growth officer these last few years, what I've tried to focus on is not looking at marketing or sales or customer success or product, but that was the idea of taking the three or four growth levers, uh, usually three, within our company here at Integrate, and how do I connect that the dots between product, marketing, and sales? It's more more uh, North Star than you can do all of it, but it's amazing when you have one or two, three initiatives, what you can do to drive that collaboration, to drive that ability. And it doesn't start with putting in these sophisticated new process and systems and buying a bunch of tech to do that. It's leading from the far front and cultural change first, and then being able to showcase it and execute against some of these growth initiatives, whether it's a new market, a new solution set that you have going out. Maybe your market's going through some big transformation, so you're capitalizing. Maybe it's an acquisition. So growth needs to be defined. We just happen here. I have that title because I've got background, et cetera. But I think that's what's going to be interesting. Growth just doesn't come from marketing or growth just doesn't come from product. Uh, it really has to be an organizational-wide initiative. Yep. Yep. No. Well. Well. Well said. And you've always been one somebody who leads from the front. So, yeah, I, I believe you're well known for that. <laughs> <laughs> that means you take a lot of arrows in the back when you lead from the front. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think I learned. That's that all right. That, the, no, go ahead. I was saying that's all right. I mean, that's the rule of the game, right? I mean, if yeah. you're if you're going to lead from the front, there's only arrows to at your back. <laughs> it's just I think how you're schooled and what you experience. I think you have a better pulse on the market. And, if you're in marketing, you're a better marketer because you're in market and you know and understand the issues in a different way than you can from behind the desk or um, academically, whether that, again, marketing, sales, customer success, all the, the roles I've had over my career. I think the, the part that I really like about what's happening is it's really interesting to be in market now. And I know we're in the have and have nots, which... That's really what I've tried. How do you bring everybody along? Uh, but that's another podcast for another time. But you also, you can help companies really advance what they're doing and what they're able to do right now because of there's a change in the environment. Change equals opportunity in my book. That's how I've always thought about it. And um, my whole career helped companies move through different phases. Fantastic. And speaking of book, is there a blog, newsletter, book, or a book that you recommend our audience our audience subscribe to or read? Yeah, I'm, I'm an active listener and, and participant in the market. I am not a big book reader. Um, sorry, I read all the time, but I'm reading fiction. I'm reading for my storytelling and to keep perspective on different periods of life and history and people's stories. To me, that's because I'm a marketer and a communicator at the core of who I am. So that's not really my thing. Although obviously I listen to, to podcasts and webinars and things like that. But what really always changes me, I believe, is it's the same book that I believe in that and it's Anne Hanley's Everybody Writes. Um, whether you're doing a simple email all the way to a sophisticated conference, to a book, to a blog, to a landing page, um, that book has transformed the way I think about how to communicate. And so I'm a big fan of that. It's, it's kind of like the Bible. When I first got into marketing, there was the positioning book, right? And that was the Bible. Um, this to me has been one of those things that I 
try to hold open groups around and everybody reads it and talks about it because look at the websites and look at the communications that come out and all the buzzwords and all the blah, blah, blah. It's really, it's hard for us to cut through that noise. Imagine what it's like to be a, a buyer in that world. So I'm not saying I have a wired, but that really always keeps me grounded and honest. Yeah. And, that, and it's a really good one. I haven't read it, uh, but but I think it's come up two, three times on this podcast now. So yeah. I, I definitely should go read it. But it, it is highly recommended because your writing tells a lot about you. Perfect. So as we wrap up the show, we always ask people who are three other folks in B2B te- uh, in B2B who are either in go-to-market or data science that you recommend that we invite to the show. So who do you have, Scott, for us? Well, there's a, I think there's a long, long list of people out there that we, we all know that we can go to. I try to find people, and, and instead of naming names, I, I think what I think about is who are some of the CEOs that have made some interesting transitions who are some of the um, marketers who are actually leading from the front and transforming businesses? I'll give you one. Um, he spoke on our town hall. I've got to know him over the last seven years or so. Listen, Eric Rosa had a company bought by Oracle and was, you know, doing his thing. But he had a he had a really belief in wellness. And when CrossFit had some pretty big challenges, if you're following that, with uh, during the days of Black Lives Matter and he actually believed so much in CrossFit, he bought it and became a CEO. And to watch that passion, I saw it in the data cloud business uh, and then the Oracle for that period when they were acquired. And now to see it play out, that's an example of me to someone. He's, he's a very uh, driven, competitive person, but also uh, really has a compass and, and, a, and a passion and a belief. And so... I love to hear people's stories, and, and he's one of those who has a story as well as the uh, the smarts and the drive to back it. Fantastic. Well, we're, uh, now I'm super intrigued how somebody who was building a B2B solution went to actually buy a B2B com- a B2C company and um, and resurrected well, the it. So. was B2C, and if you look, you'll see the story, oh. their company and what was bought by Oracle and where they went. So it's. It's the basis of Oracle Data Cloud today. And that's There's part of the great. story. It, the journey for the company, the journey for, for Eric as a CEO is, and now in life is pretty cool. And there's lots of those stories out there, as you know, and you cover. Absolutely. So our audience is global. There's many times folks from other parts of the world that want to get connected with our guests. Um, if somebody was interested in connecting with you and had some questions about this podcast, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn's a great way. I'm a, a big user of LinkedIn and sharing views, sharing other people's views, having discussions. Uh, it's been helped me build a professional network that I go to. We do a lot of back channeling, as you know. Uh, right. on, hey, should I take this tack? Or I hear you know a lot about this. Can you give me some insights? And it, it creates conversations. And to me, in this world, especially in marketing, it's it's if you want to create revenue, you have to have relevance and you have to have relationships. And if you want to uh, be part of a community, you have to pay it forward. You have to invest in it. Uh, you have to make deposits if you want withdrawals. And you want to do that authentically. All those things I've learned in my career from other people and watching it. 
it's kind of in, internal my compass as well. So LinkedIn is 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 something I use as as a, as a foundational uh, place and tool uh, as part of what I do. Fantastic. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your views. We will bring you back in the fall uh, to uh, to as to do a follow up from here and see like, hey, when we met in. April, here's yeah, what the wow. world looked like. And now we're in December. Did you expect what we just happened what just happened? And there's so many new things there. We're at the beginning of things and the change. I think it's exciting, Asher. And I thank you for having me on and um, this discussion is always in, um, being who you are, leading from the front. Fantastic. Well, best of luck on your journey. Okay. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.